Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. So glad to have you here with us today for episode 392 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, today I'm going to be joined by the CEO and president of the National Speakers Association, Jamie Nolan. Now, Jamie's going to be joining me for a tell-all of what's happening behind the curtain at the NSA, what we can expect in the future, and also her part in rewriting some of the playbook within the organization. Now, I know that as speakers, many of us have maybe a love-hate relationship with associations. And so the goal of this episode is really to demystify some of the questions and assumptions of what takes place within an association such as the NSA and what you should consider before becoming a member. While Jamie is new to the NSA team, she comes from over two decades of working with associations and meeting planners and owned an association management company for 15 years of her career. During our conversation, Jamie's going to talk about the impact of the global pandemic on the NSA, how the organization can help speakers, the resources that they share with members, and also how they're changing up some of their conference structure to meet new speakers right where they're at. With the goal of serving speakers in all seasons, Jamie is helping the organization identify strengths and opportunities for improvement by closely working with the board of directors and volunteer staff to provide the best possible experience for NSA members. So whether you're considering a membership or you're an existing member wondering what's next for the NSA, Jamie is here to answer all of those questions and more. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation on association membership within the NSA with Jamie Nolan. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Glad to have you here with us today. Today, we are chatting with the CEO and president of the NSA, the good one, the National Speakers Association. There we go, uh, Miss Jamie Nolan. So, Jamie, thanks for hanging out with us today. How's your day been? Great. Thanks for having me on today. Appreciate you, it. You bet. You bet. Now, we were talking a little bit beforehand, and I know uh, you are relatively new to this particular role, and I think to the speaking industry as a whole. So kind of talk us through, like, what's your, uh, what's your been your journey to get to this point? What's your background and and kind of what, what your role is now with the NSA? Sure, absolutely. So I joined NSA in August of 2021 as the interim CEO and accepted a full-time role in January. My career has been with associations and meeting planners. So I've got 20 years of planning uh, meetings for trade associations and professional societies. I owned an association management company for 15 of those 20 years. So we did meetings and events and trade shows for a variety of organizations. So I'm familiar with the speaking industry. I've obviously worked with a lot of speakers over that time. Um, would probably have referred to myself as a speaker until I joined NSA and realized what a real speaker does. So I took that off my LinkedIn profile when I joined because um, I've spoken at, on stages, you know, for like my industry groups and things like that. But it's certainly a different a different caliber here with the NSA members. So um, when I came in August to be the interim CEO, a lot of what I've been doing since I sold my business 
was consulting for associations in a variety of areas and NSA reached out, they were looking for an interim CEO. And so I came on board and just absolutely love the members, love the board, love all the possibilities for the organization and just having a blast. Very cool. Now, what, what was appealing about the, about the NSA? Because it sounds like being in the association world, as we both know, like there's no shortage of associations and an right. association for anything and everything. It just like some really, really random stuff. So like what was intriguing or appealing about this particular role? What I like about it is because I feel like these are my people. Like I can relate to them. I can speak the same language more or less. Uh, I get the what it's like to be on the meeting planning side of working right. with speakers. And now I get to see what it's like to be on the speaking side, but also have the other perspective. Um, you know, being real and genuine is really important to me. And so being with a lot of people that um, say it like it is, I value that. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Very cool. Uh, and so what is your, like, what does your role look like? President and CEO of any association, but certainly for NSA, like, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Sure. Well, with NSA in particular, so many moving parts going on right now. Uh, when I came on board, they actually had, I guess I should back up. So when COVID hit, right. Mm-hmm. And it affected everybody, including NSA, the staff went from about 17 to 10 And so they were trying to do all these things with half the staff. And uh, as we had to switch to virtual, like everybody else did, you know, it really challenged the organization and the team to do all of that with the limited staff that they had. So they started outsourcing to other partners around the country and frankly, around the world. And I think it was very useful for them to help them get through uh, that difficult time. And since I've come back on board, we're starting to bring all those things back in house. So we've hired We've just hired four people so far this year. We're going to be hiring two more by the end of the year. And um, so my goal is really to help bring this association back on solid ground, build the team up, really promote our speakers, the conferences that we have. We have a lot of strategic initiatives around um, how do we work with the chapters so that members in various chapters around the country can feel connected and feel that sense of community in their local yeah. communities. Um, we're working a lot with DEI and how do we make sure that everyone is represented from the stage and um, in our different programs. We also have our certified speaking professional credential. Mm-hmm. And so how, um, you know, we're looking at that and revamping that a little bit. So my role, again, is kind of looking at all the things that are going on and making sure all the pieces are moving and giving the right people in the right seats which is fun for me. It's like putting a puzzle together. Yeah, for sure. What are the, for some people that, that may be new to the speaking industry, you know, obviously NSA in terms of an association is like the, the big player and the big, um, uh, the, the major association that the most speakers would look to. So what are the, the ways that like NSA could help speakers if someone's considering joining or trying to determine, you know, whether or not NSA is for them? Like, I think, for example, like one misconception is that people assume, well, if I want to book gigs, then I should just join the NSA and then I, I just magically will book gigs. And so like, how, how do you feel like the NSA can best help speakers? Absolutely. Thanks for asking that. So NSA is not a bureau and that's something that we do need to let people know because we're not here to help book gigs, mm-hmm. um, but we are here to help you build a better business and be a better speaker. And what we really do is um, building a better business. We're constantly doing courses and our conferences all around how to build your business in new and diverse ways. And the be a better speaker is 
it's not the technical pieces of speaking, but it's more like relationships, how to connect with your audience. Um, and then you meeting with other members, right? So the gold is really in the other members that you meet, the relationships that you build, the ability to call up somebody and say, you know, hey, I need some feedback on this, or I just got into a bind, can you cover me? And so it's a lot about that relationships that you build with other speakers. We've got um, a couple conferences that we do throughout the year. Our influence conference, which is this summer. And actually, I don't, I don't know if our team shared with you, but any of your listeners that sign up for our influence conference and use the promo code speakerlab22 cool. will be able to get uh, the member rate for the conference if they're a non-member. Awesome. Um, so that's going to be in Nashville in your hometown in July. Indeed. And we have a conference in the winter, which is a workshop conference. And that really gets into more, more hands-on how to improve your business based on the goals that you want to go to. And then we have our CSP CPAE summit in December. And that is focused for those people that have earned their CSP credential. So you got a lot of different things uh, throughout the, the course of a year. Yeah. So for a, I think one of the, the challenges um, that I, it seems like you would have is on, uh, you have kind of speakers on both ends of the spectrum. You have some speakers who are just brand new, who are going, I, I don't know what I don't know. And I'm just getting started and speakers who've been at it for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years and who are booking a lot of gigs and who are generating, you know, six, seven figures in revenue. Um, but maybe looking for that next slight edge or what's kind of the next thing coming, you know, on the horizon that they need to be aware of or thinking about, like, how do you kind of balance appealing and educating both of them because they're they're two totally different audiences who have two totally different needs. Now, the ultimate goal for both of them is to, you know, speak and to share a message and to grow their business. But how they go about doing that or kind of where they're at in their career is just it's just vastly different. So how do you right. like how do you kind of think about trying to appeal to and potentially appease, you know, both ends of the spectrum? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So we have our online digital vault has probably hundreds of different um, courses and webinars from speakers at every level that um, are accessible to all of our members. And no matter where you're at in your speaking career, it's a valuable resource, right? These are people that you would probably normally pay tens of thousands of dollars to see, and you have access to their content and their materials. Uh, for sure, if you're a newer speaker, it's a great resource to get a lot of information. And for the speakers that are experienced, again, it's about really being in a place where um, you can connect with other speakers that are experienced that are in the hall of fame that have, um, built these big businesses. We have a million dollar speakers group. So if you are bringing in over a million dollars of revenue from speaking, um, the million dollar speakers group has their own sort of sub content that they also put together at the conferences. Um, so there's different ways, you know, we definitely try to balance it and make sure that the, uh, all the different levels of experience are covered. I would say influence, our influence conference is considered more of the industry conference. And so that's more general. And we try to um, really provide education that can hit, you know, every level. The winner workshop is probably for more experienced speakers uh, that are really trying to kind of get the next tool or technique or idea. And then obviously the CSP CPAE summit is for the, the certified and the hall of fame members. So those are other ways that we are able to divide that up and support them. Right. Now I know for, for some speakers coming into NSA for the first time, like if it, I, I think back, we were talking a little bit before we started recording my first 
influence that the summer conference was, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago, something like that. And it's kind of intimidating. Like when you're coming into it where you're like, I'm the, I'm one of the brand new speakers or I'm up and coming and all these people seem like they know each other. And maybe I've heard of some of them or I've read some of their books or I've seen them, you know, their videos or seen their speeches or something. And it can be a little bit intimidating. And, and there are certainly elements where it can feel, I don't know, like a, uh, like an insider's club, you know, and it's going to be, sure. it can feel hard yeah. to break into, you know, like for some of these people, mm-hmm. they've known each other for decades and mm-hmm. have kind of come up in the business together and built their business together. So do you find that like NSA has any challenges with that? Or what do you see on that? Of, like trying to balance, um, you know, you creating the community for people who've been there for years and years and years, but at the same time being yeah. open and welcoming to speakers who were at that point, uh, or who are getting started um, and are just trying to like find their footing and connect with some of these, you know, big wigs in the industry, so to speak. Yeah, Grant, I'm so glad that you asked that question because we um, are actually focusing on uh, new member, uh, first time attendees this year. And so we're going to have a buddy program in terms of um, if you are a first time attendee, we're going to pair you with an experienced member who can show you the ropes, introduce you to other people kind of help you know where to go and what to do so that you don't have that alone feeling. We're also going to have a first time attendee reception. And so the first time attendees um, will be able to come have an opportunity to both meet each other and meet our board. And uh, we did that at our winter conference too, as well. And so even as simple as asking people from the stage, raise your hand if you're a first time attendee so that our um, tenured members can really reach out and help build that bridge. They all remember what it was like to be a first time attendee. And they all remember that same feeling of, you know, wow, Zig Ziglar's in here, whoever it may be. And how am I going to, you know, have this break into this crowd, so to speak. And I think that NSA is an extremely welcoming community. And um, so some of these things that we're going to be doing to really help be very intentional about letting first time attendees feel welcome is exciting. I'm excited about it. That's cool. What do you feel like the NSA like really excels at? Like, where do you feel like you guys are doing a, a great job? Um, I would say this board in particular is doing an awesome job of looking to the future of NSA and not getting caught up and doing things the way they've always been done. Coming out of COVID, uh, everybody, including NSA, has had to take a hard look at their business model and the value that they're offering to their members and really identify where do we need to be, where do our members need us, what does that look like, and how is that different? And this board is so committed to really taking a hard look at that and uh, and making some difficult decisions. Don't ask me what they are because I'm not going to recall them off the top of my head, but we've cut some things that were just kind of in motion because it was sort of, well, we've always done it, so why don't we keep doing it? But when we look at it, it's not really bringing value back to the members, and it's probably utilizing a lot of staff resources and financial resources that could be best placed elsewhere. And then also just looking at, you know, how do we engage the members to contribute more and to um, provide their insight and expertise? I think that NSA has a history of being primarily staff driven. And while it's still staff driven, we want to utilize the volunteers and have them help have a say in where their industry association is going. So that's another, um, I think, a big win for NSA. Hey friends, I got a question for you. Considering where you are in your speaking journey, what are your next steps to take your speaking career to the next level? If your answer is, I I have no idea or I have too many ideas, I don't know where to start, let me give you what I believe is the best next step that you can take. I want you to book a call with the Speaker Lab team today over at thespeakerlab.com slash coach. 
Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach to see if our personalized coaching program is right for you. We have helped literally thousands of speakers from all over the world find and book more speaking gigs, and we'd love to see if we could help you as well. Our personalized coaching program features done-for-you websites, done-for-you demo videos, weekly coaching calls, access to all of our educational content. We find speaking leads specifically for you and so much more. You've got the talent. You've got the drive. Let us give you the plan to execute. All you got to do is book your call today by going to thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach. So, and I think this is, uh, kind of interesting from your perspective where because you have an experience with a lot of different associations, I know this isn't exclusive to just NSA, but um, the the danger of having uh, like the insiders leading the other insiders where it becomes kind of an echo chamber of like that this part of the challenge with like the speaking industry is like it's it's a huge, huge pond. And there's a lot of speakers that are big, big uh-huh. speakers who exist outside of the NSA who've never been involved with the NSA and that's not necessarily good or bad. It just kind of is what it is. And so how do you kind of balance? Let's provide some, let's put some people on stage and let's put some experts in front of our members who are NSA members to kind of showcase some of our, our best of our best. But at the same time, like there's a lot of like great content and, and speakers who don't even know that the NSA exists or have never been a part yeah. of it, who would be awesome fits for events or coaching or training or whatever it may be. So how do you kind of strike that balance? So it doesn't become you know, an echo chamber of, you know, just the, the same faces on stage or the same voices that we're hearing. So how do you, yeah. how do you think about that? Yeah, well, that's really where diversity, equity, and inclusion comes into play and in identifying, do we have different representation of the population included in our committees, on our board, speaking from the main stage at events? Um, and so we've been very intentional about looking at that. We've diversity, equity, inclusion committee, um, that has been working with the board and putting the board through regular training on what that means and what that looks like. And then we're going to be rolling some um, education out to the members in that regard too. So it's definitely a topic of importance. I think every association I've worked with struggles from a little bit of the good old boys club right. um, history, right? I think that's how most associations started at some point in time. And as we have accelerated you know, through the decades and, and we are much more, you know, there are much more people out in the workforce than the good old boys club. Mm-hmm. How are we going to kind of shift that perception or that reputation that um, some people might have of any association, NSA being one of them to becoming more inclusive. And so it's things like um, getting a next generation group together and having them talk to us about what's important to them. What are the challenges that they're having? How do we, you know, what kind of services or offerings or programming can we do around that? It's, um, you know, we've got some great subgroups, community groups, we call them. We've got Black NSA, you know, LGBTQ. We have a veterans group. And so we have a lot of community groups where they can connect with each other. And again, like we want their voices and we hear from them, like, what are the challenges that you're facing or what are the opportunities that you're looking at or how are your challenges different from what the mainstream challenges might be and how can we help address it? And so it's definitely a very collaborative approach because the association is for the members and it's by the members. So we need input from all the members to continue to elevate the relevance. 
how do you kind of filter that out? Because it seems like, and again, I don't think this is exclusive to NSA. This would be the case with any association, but like you can have a lot of different voices and all saying a lot of different things. And some voices are going to be way louder than the others that may not necessarily like represent, you know, the majority or the average member or something. So how do you kind of like balance out and filter like the signal from the noise and determining like, no, this is the direction we need to go. And this is what, you know, the, the, the best represents the majority of our members and who we're, we're trying to help. Yeah, that's a great question. There's not really a, a straight answer other than you kind of have to look at the whole big picture, right? And if one voice is being really loud about something, kind of looking at what is it that they are asking for or saying, and does that benefit everybody? Or is it very specific to just this particular person or crowd or whatever it may be? Um, I think that there's always a path forward, no matter what that looks like. And I think looking at what's best for NSA members as a whole is always the first step. And then from there, if, if some of the voices that are coming to the table want something specific or political or anything like that, you know, we may, we may have to keep it more general, right? Like mm -hmm. NSA isn't going to take a political stance and NSA isn't going to, you know, things like that. Um, so do you feel like that really generic answer? You're fine. That's fine. <laughs> So uh, do you feel like with um, in, in like an, in, in an effort to like avoid the echo chamber and and being a, a good old boys club that you coming in as a potential outsider, has that helped? Do you feel like that you can kind of bring a different perspective of just in terms of like yeah. what what makes a, a good association that it's not like you have, you know, 20, 30 years of I've always been in the NSA and this is how we've always done things. And these are all of our sacred cows and we're never going to kill them. So do you feel like that that helps you being an outsider of like, I don't necessarily know how we've always done it. And so that gives a yes. new perspective. Absolutely. It absolutely does. Because I there are times where I will start a certain direction and somebody will tell me, well, that's not the way we've done it. And then I'll say, well, can you tell me why you've done it that way or what you've done, right? Yeah. And then I can determine if if the way that it's been done is relevant or if maybe there's another way to do it. Um, and also just, you know, I've probably worked with three or four dozen associations throughout my career. And so just really understanding all the different best practices, things that have worked, things that haven't worked, landmines to look out for. And so I bring a really unique perspective that way to the position. So to that end, what since you've worked with so many associations, like what makes a good, healthy, fully functioning association? Cause again, I'm sure you've seen kind of both ends of the spectrum. It's kind of like a family. Yeah. Like you see some families, like they, they really have their crap together. Like they seem like they're right. they know what they're doing and some that are just hanging on by a thread. So like what, what makes a good uh, association? So an association that works really well are ones that um, are very collaborative where the board um, the board is what I would deem high functioning, right? They're looking at, they're not getting into the details of what menu items should we pick for the conference, but they're actually looking at um, what are the key things that our, our members are facing in the next 13 months and now, and how can we start preparing now to help support them through that? It is a strong volunteer base of passionate volunteers who are respectful of staff and their role and respectful of each other, but are truly wanna help give back to the industry. And the associations where there is that feeling of inclusiveness across the board, where you can go to a conference and not feel like you're seeing a bunch of clicks around you, but rather you are meeting new people and feeling welcomed and um, feeling open to experiences. And that takes everybody's part, right? I mean, it can yeah. be led by the board and led by staff, but we it takes everybody there. Yeah. yeah. Since, again, I think you kind of have a unique seat where NSA has been around for a long time. You've come in in the past few months or so. And so 
some of what, or a lot of what exists uh, had nothing to do with you. And it just kind of, it's what you've inherited. And so stuff that, right. that is working well and stuff that, you know, you can improve upon. Uh, so what do you feel like are the, the things that uh, are is like the most common criticism that you're hearing? Like, what do you feel like are your biggest opportunities for improvement yeah. or the things that since you've been in that you, you're hearing a lot from members of, of ways yeah. that, that either members are frustrated or things that could be improved or done yeah. differently. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. And, you know, I think a lot of, there's a lot of things that have been improved already, which is fantastic. So as I mentioned earlier, when I came on board, they had outsourced everything. We had member services being answered by people in the Philippines. We had an answering service that was just answering calls and taking messages that went into space. And so the biggest frustration I heard when I came in is nobody answers the phone. Nobody answers my emails. Nobody knows what they're doing. Customer service is terrible. And that was generating a bad member experience. So one of the first changes that I made when I came on board was we cut the contract with the Philippines, cut the contract with the, uh, with the, uh, answering service. And we hired full-time member service, um, individuals that were dedicated to answering the phones, answering those emails and being that that member engagement ambassador for members. And we've had such positive feedback to that. Um, and just in terms of, wow, a live person's answering my call and wow, somebody's responding to my email right away. So that's definitely been um, one big change. Um, another area of opportunity, I think, is uh, the organization has been in a mindset of scarcity for a long time and probably because of COVID, I would imagine, right? I think a lot of people ended up in this scarcity mindset, but we've got so much opportunity in front of us and so many things that we can do. And so it's shifting the mindset of the whole association to an abundance mindset. And so we're looking at instead of what can't we do at our conferences or what can't we do, you know, with our digital technology, what can we do? What opportunities do we have? How do we make it better for the members? So another big area of focus for us is we're getting a whole new technology platform that will be rolled out after Influence because a lot of the frustration that our members were having was with the user experience on our website, with registering for our events, with databases. And so we're actually investing in a more robust technology system um, that will improve the member experience that way too. Where else have you seen that, that scarcity mindset play out? You know, I see it a lot in associations that feel like they don't have enough money or they're worried about losing money on a conference or they're worried about the membership dropping. I think when you're a volunteer board, you feel very focused on, we got to break even, we got to break even, we got to break even. And so they get too focused on what we can't do instead of looking at the opportunities. Like how can we go out and find a partner that will pay us $30,000 and we'll give them you know, repeated exposure throughout the year, or how do we open up the doors to other types of people that we could welcome in as members and not stay single focused on this one thing. And so that's something that I see a lot with associations is just moving from that. What can't we do to what can we do? Right. How has the, uh, the pandemic affected the association? Because obviously it's had a huge impact in the world, certainly for the speaking yeah. industry where yeah. in-person events just literally came to a, a screeching halt and, and the industry yeah. and has been around for, you know, decades and decades and decades and has experienced, you know, wars and depressions and recessions and 9-11, just like crazy stuff that's happened. But the pandemic was certainly pretty wild. And it feels like more and more we're coming out, out of things and that we're, we're getting back to some sense of, of normalcy. How do you feel like that the association has weathered the, the pandemic and the, the changes that that brought about? So I would say financially, they've weathered it great. They did contract expenses where needed and honed in on what can't they do. 
So I think financially they weathered it great. We did lose about a third of our members um, through the pandemic. And I imagine part of it is because a lot of them were in places where they couldn't, you know, they lost all their business overnight with things shutting down. Yeah. I know a lot of former members that ended up leaving the profession and going to get a job um, because their speaking business shut down. But where that membership is starting to tick back up, you know, it's starting to grow again, which we're excited about. And then overall, I think, I think a lot of people were just scared when the pandemic hit because none of us knew what was going to happen, how long it was going to last. Um, and so like any business, they put the brakes on a lot of stuff to make sure that they could get through it. Yeah. You mentioned that that membership had declined pretty significantly in a short mm -hmm. period of time. Like how much of that do you feel like is the, is the pandemic and how much of that was just areas where maybe the, the association wasn't, was struggling just to deliver on the expectations and the promise that members had, uh, mm -hmm. and the pandemic just amplified that and the mm -hmm. tide went out and, and, you know, realized that, you know, there, there may have been some bigger issues. And I know like part of the challenge or, or uniqueness, I guess, in your role is, is you've again, kind of just walked into this. So it's, right, it, yeah. you know, it's kind of, you, you, this is the hand that you were, you were dealt. So how much do you feel like that the pandemic has just kind of amplified, you know, challenges that maybe you guys had had previously? That's a great question. And I don't know the answer to that because the challenges I've heard about, I think were kind of pandemic and forward. So mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't have a lot of intel on the, how things were before that. I'm sure you have a valid point. I'm sure that of the third of the members we lost, not all of them were due to the pandemic. Probably others were like frustrated and it amplified it. It's very possible. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you feel like are the, the changes that you, uh, or the opportunities that you see going forward in terms of the pandemic is because uh, one of the unique things that has happened is that it's created a lot of virtual opportunities for speakers that didn't mm -hmm. previously exist and kind of opened up just new uh, opportunities for speaking, for presenting, for sharing content, and uh, both virtually or in person hybrid events. So there's just a lot of a lot of new a lot of new type of opportunities that may exist that, that didn't previously exist. So what are the the ways that you feel like uh, like you're thinking about from an associ association standpoint? How can we help members in this kind of new world that we now live in? Or what are some things that maybe you've seen speakers that are doing to adapt in the in a post pandemic world? Or how, how are you kind of thinking about the speaking industry post pandemic? Yeah, I think a lot of speakers that were just straight speakers have looked at opportunities to add additional revenue streams to their business, whether it's creating online content and selling it, whether it's coaching, whether it's facilitating. I think that what I have seen most, I've seen a lot of the online content piece and having learning management systems where people can make money in their sleep, basically, once they have it built and yeah. selling courses online using their their knowledge and their expertise that they were speaking from the main stage and putting it into content format. So I would say that's probably been the biggest shift I've seen is that a lot more people who maybe had been toying with that idea moved to that idea. Um, a lot of people took that time to write their book and, you know, books are great for getting you stage gigs. And now that it seems like we're knock on wood on the other side of this thing, you know, members are all starting to get booked out again, which is great. Uh, I want to shift gears for a second. One of the questions that I, I get uh, most often from speakers is about speaking fees and how much do I charge? And, you know, the answer is it depends. And there's a lot of variables and factors that go into that. And it's much more of a art than a science. The NSA has typically taken a stance kind of when it comes to speaking fees. It, it's like, uh, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about Bruno. And so uh, how do you kind of like, like, how do you think about that as far as like speakers who are just like, man, just tell me something, give me something to go yeah. off of. And I get, you know, there's, there's kind of the balance that, that NSA or an association has to play in that, but how do you kind of think about speaking fees and how, you know, you can best yeah. help speakers without it becoming, you know, too much of an issue? Sure. So 
So legally, NSA can't talk about speaking fees because of antitrust. But what I would do is I would say, hey, go check out the latest speaker flow survey. They yeah. just did a survey of 350 members and kind of asked about, you know, what the average paid gig is or go check out CJK's survey or, you know, so there's different surveys out there that I think industry partners do of their clientele to get that information because they are private entities that can do that. Whereas us being a trade association, we're under scrutiny for any, any um, perception of like collusion or anything. So we can't do, that's why we can't talk about the fees. It's a (laughs) delicate tightrope that you must walk. Yes. Yes. (laughs) What are the, as you kind of look to the future, what are the things that you're excited about or that you're looking forward to that you feel like are the the biggest opportunities of of growth uh, in the future for NSA and its members? I'm just, so we're celebrating our 50th anniversary next year, and I'm just so excited for us to really look at how far the industry has come, what technology has done for speakers, how it has accelerated the opportunities for speakers um, moving forward and building their businesses and uh, coming up with diverse revenue streams. I think that NSA's got a ton of opportunity in terms of meeting the needs of the different market segments. You know, I, I always look at it like, the way people make buying decisions today, I'm sure you've heard this a million times, right? You go on Amazon, you get what you want, you get it delivered the next day, you go to Newsweek, you pick these five topics that you want delivered to your phone at 6 p.m. on Fridays. Like the buying experience has become so customized that associations need to also look at ways to be uh, customizing the member experience. And sort of that one size fits all doesn't really work these days because of the way the buying experience has changed. Let's, uh, let's wrap up with this. For, uh, I find that a lot of speakers who've been in the industry for a while have I don't know, almost like a, not necessarily like a love-hate relationship with NSA, but like, wait, you know, see the value of NSA, but at the same time, like some frustrations and uh, sure. maybe almost just kind of like a, a neutral feeling where I don't love it, I don't hate it. It just kind of, it is what it is. Uh, so what would you say to those speakers or newer speakers who are just thinking about like the, you know, should I be involved with NSA? Should I get back involved with NSA? And kind of what does the future of NSA look like? What would you say to, to those speakers to uh, yeah. may, maybe maybe give you guys another uh, another chance? Yeah, give us a shot. I think that we have so much value to offer. Um, you have access to so many great resources that again, like I said, you would pay tens of thousands of dollars to get if you tried to do it yourself. And so to be able to get it for just a small membership fee is awesome. The value is there. I think that we've got a whole new um, team in place at headquarters. We've got a great board and everybody's so committed to really continuing to make NSA the place for professional speakers. Very cool. Jamie, uh, we appreciate you taking a minute. If people want to find out more about you, check out NSA uh, at, at any point and check out all the different resources and opportunities that you guys have. Uh, where, where can we find you online? NSAspeaker.org. Very good. Jamie, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, I want you to know that we do this podcast simply because we want to serve and support speakers like you. We don't charge anything for you to listen, but in return, we do have one small favor to ask. Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening right now? Hit that subscribe button. Also, leave us a rating and review within iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to these podcasts. We read every single one of them, and they also help other people to find the show. Also, if you are looking to take the next step in growing your speaking business, be sure and check out thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. We've got a ton of free resources and tools there, and you can also learn more about the programs that we offer, which include one-on-one coaching. 
our mission here is to help you find the confidence, clarity, and clear path that you need to own your speaking success. So again, check us out over at thespeakerlab.com. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.